0: And roll presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday afternoon as I'm recording this uh, with a special guest. It's been a while since I've had a guest on, but trying to give everybody their space during the offseason, but I knew I couldn't hold out on you guys for. For too long here and wanted to get everybody back into the swing of things, get everybody ready for the season, because it is surprisingly, shockingly, scarily uh, just three weeks away from when media day is coming back around and to to really help me break that down from an Eastern Conference perspective. I wanted to bring on a previous guest, somebody who has a great pulse on the Eastern Conference, a great pulse on the Cleveland Cavaliers. And one of the great podcast hosts in NBA Twitter, host of the Chase Down podcast with Carter Rodriguez, is Justin Rowan, at at Avs Canada. Uh, Jesus Christ.
1: Avs Canada, baby. You know what? It looks great, but you know what? (laughs) I've got some love in my heart for the Avs, too, you know. Joe Sackick, Avs legend. Oh, love
0: it. <laughs> hey. And, and of course, we have the Canadian himself, Justin Rowan, who obviously brought this back to hockey, knew exactly where, where to really hit home with uh, Nuggets and Denver fans. Uh, Justin, how are you? How has your summer been going?
1: I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. Uh, the flattery is always appreciated. And you know what? It's, it's been a pretty good summer. I uh, got to experience a little more normal than last year. Uh, not all the way back, but you know, uh, I'm, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling refreshed. I know it's a shortened off season for the NBA, but... Uh, that doesn't matter to me because I, I'm really, really excited for this upcoming season. I I can't wait because I, I feel like this is going to be the return to normal with the pre or two seasons ago uh, ending in such an abbreviated fashion of the bubble last year playing primarily without crowds uh, in, in a lot of markets and just a lot of weird things going on. I, I feel like this is the first season from a prognostication standpoint where we can Talk with a little bit more confidence because things are, are going to be just a little more stable in the NBA. So that's exciting to me.
0: I'm totally a hundred percent with you. It's funny. I I took over as site manager for Denver Stiffs for Adam Morris at the beginning of the 2019-20 season. So <laughs> I have not known a season of normal in my tenure so far, and it's been uh, it has been stressful to be clear. But I'm I am looking forward to it for sure. I do have one question before we really get going here uh were you sad to see the chase down pods own larry nance jr depart for portland
1: you know what? It, it, was, uh, it was a mixed emotion moment for me because obviously Larry's been on the podcast a couple of times. He, he's been really great to us, uh, what he means to the community and whatnot. Um, it's it's meaningful, uh, and especially for a young team that needs veterans in the locker room. Um, I, I've come to kind of understand it a little bit more. I, I see the upside. It's one of those kind of gamble moves where I feel like it raises the floor and it addresses some needs. But also low, or, or sorry, it raises the ceiling and lowers the floor. Uh, it is going to be a, a risky maneuver. Uh, obviously, Larry coming out and basically making his trade request public uh, after the trade went through um, helped. Helped as well. I think everyone kind of understood where he was coming from at that point. So uh when it was clear that hey, it wasn't like a, a betrayal of Larry sending him when he wanted to stay there and whatnot, which was kind of the initial reaction from some people. Um, uh, once once that was public, I, I think everyone kind of came around to the logic of the move.
0: And it's it's going to be interesting. We're going to talk about the Cavs right at the end of this thing. I want to address the the Lowry market and trade because I think that that is a it's it's been one of the hot button topics, and as has the Jared Allen extension mm-hmm. uh, from from a Cavaliers perspective over the course of. What has been a very interesting offseason for the Cavs? So we will definitely get into it. Everybody, you should absolutely that's a pro tease.
1: The- that's a pro tease right there. You're letting <laughs> everyone know everyone's coming here for the Cavs analysis. So I, you guys have I to know. stick around to the end of the podcast. Get that those engagement numbers up if you want to get the crown jewel of this episode. <laughs> Everybody should check out the chase down
0: pod. Justin, Carter, they do a great job. They're in the Cavs family. That's such a cool thing. Uh, Has that been a good experience for you
1: guys so far? It's been a phenomenal experience. Um, I mean, what was promised to us on the front end was the podcast isn't going to change. We're going to be allowed to be critical. We're going to be allowed to do the things that we've done uh, before the partnership and the fact. Yeah, like it, it sounds great coming in, but you don't really know until you've gone through it. And the fact that that has actually come to fruition where uh, it's been an enhancement of what we were already doing uh, ha- has been a really, really uh, pleasant surprise, especially as someone that's a, a control freak and, and really likes <laughs> kind of the, the flow and the way that everything's going with the podcast. Uh, it, it's It's been a lot of fun, especially getting uh, some of the assistant coaches and, and the people that normally don't do interviews to really kind of break down and pick their brand. Of uh, the minutia, of what goes into developing players and, and coaching and all these other things. It's uh it's been a fun experience.
0: You guys are setting a great example for what
1: podcasts can be in this
0: market. So, and especially as media has really changed over the course of these last few years, just given a lot of the the restrictions and the, the access that has really gone down in a lot of cases, especially with COVID. So mm-hmm. uh, it's really cool what you guys are doing. Uh, I'm excited for everybody. Hey, continue to listen, continue to give them love. It's been awesome. So, uh, But let's transition into the less flattering portion of this podcast. Uh, we're, we're going to start talking about some of the Eastern Conference teams. And I wanted to break it down by non-contenders and contenders. And so basically what I did was I, I went through each of these 15 teams and said, okay, How many of these teams have a chance of making the Eastern Conference Finals? In your mind's eye, can you envision them making it this year? And for some of them, I said yes. For others, I said no. And I decided to break it down in that way. And Justin is going to help me break down the non-contenders. And so the list that I came up with personally is Charlotte, Chicago, Cleveland, Detroit, Indiana, Orlando, Toronto, and Washington. And Justin, before the podcast, he was talking to me about some of the pro- some of the podcasting that he has done and breaking down the East tiers before. And you mentioned a team that you think might deserve to be in this tier,
1: right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's basically, of the teams in the Eastern Conference, there's six that I'm confident will land in the top eight, and that's Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Philly, Miami, Atlanta, and Boston. And the, outside of that, there's really kind of a, a robust tier of teams that I, I think are I feel confident are going to be in that play-in mix. But because it's such a tight race and because that kind of middle class of the Eastern Conference ha- has expanded uh, this offseason, it I'm going to need to see how things break down. And the New York Knicks are a team that I would be very confident that they're going to make the play-in in some form, meaning that seven through uh s- seven through ten kind of part of the standings but if you're talking about the likelihood of them making the eastern conference finals i mean even in a really weird season last year they won one game in the first round um i i like what they've done i I think they're a really well coached team and I, i think they got the absolute most out of their roster but when you look at the eastern conference last year in the NBA. The, they played really consistent defense throughout the year. A lot of teams were going through turmoil, and I think they kind of caught teams off guard as a result of that. Now, I think the additions they made this offseason might help them stay in the position that they were last year, kind of that six to eight range. I, I know they, they technically sure. finished fourth, but I, I think they're probably going to be a little more in that range rather than a team that can make a longer run in the Eastern Conference. I, I still think they're a good team, but I think there's a lot of question marks there. I, I still am not totally confident in their offense and their ability to, to generate an offense at a high level. We need to see what's going to come of RJ Barrett, if Julius Randall can repeat what he did last year. So I, I think they are going to be a play team, but it, the path for them to make a conference finals to me is just, it it takes too much stretching of the imagination.
0: I'm with you there. And, and I totally, I totally understand. I decided kind of pre like, I, I think that the six teams that you listed before pretty good. I'd actually amend it to five because I'm not, I'm still not really sure how I feel about Boston. I'm oh, not either. Because, it's yeah. honestly
1: just the strength of Tatum and Brown. Like that's yeah. really what it comes down to. I, I, at least, I, I think those guys are at least going to keep them out of the play-in. Like I, I feel pretty confident about that. Um, and that's going to help your path to, to make a conference finals. Uh, I, I would not, I, I, I'd be really surprised if they made it that far in the postseason, but I at least have a little more confidence in their ability to avoid the plan when compared to a team like New York, which I feel is a lot closer to teams like Indiana and Chicago. Like I would almost put those three together mm. in, in a kind of tier two B in the Eastern conference.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see it with Chicago. We're going to have to talk about Indiana because I, mm-hmm. I have some, I have some thoughts about the direction that they're going and where I ultimately think it's going to head. Uh, but New York is an interesting shout. I, I, in all honesty, I just wanted to separate it seven teams, eight teams as much as I
1: possibly hey, could. No problem with at these all.
0: Podcasts. Uh, so I definitely think that if we're doing sub tiers, New York definitely stands to drop. Boston could certainly drop, uh, and and you you are really left with kind of those top five. Uh, but I'm I'm definitely looking towards these other eight as okay. I'm not really sure what I see with any of these. I'm not sure mm-hmm. can you can you really commit to this team is going to make a second round? This team is going to make even an Eastern Conference Finals and. I don't see the top end ceiling with a lot of this group, and I think there there are maybe a couple of them that could surprise me. So when I sent you over this list, when I sent you this this grouping, were there any teams that that listed here that you thought had the capability to kind of outperform my low expectations? Could they make a run?
1: Yeah, I honestly I don't see the path. Like I, I think the top of the Eastern Conference is strong enough that like these teams are competing for the plan, they're competing for playoff position. I don't think any of these teams are really capable of making that run. Now, Chicago obviously stands out from a talent standpoint. um, But when you're talking about confidence in where they're going to land in the standings, which let's be honest, like that's, that's a really important part of the equation when you're talking about their ability to make a run. It is. There's going to be an adjustment period. Like even when Kyrie, Kevin Love and LeBron came together, they started 20 and 21. Like they, they had a losing record halfway through the season because continuity is really, really important. And I like the individual parts, but how they come together kind of remains to be seen. Lonzo Ball really good defender, not really a point of attack defender. Like that's not one of his strengths. Zach Levine doesn't bring that to the table. DeMar DeRozan's made some strides, but for the most part, it's still a defensive liability. I like the addition of Derek Jones Jr. I think him and Pat William can do some interesting things defensively at the four, but how those guys are, are going to click together and how they're going to use Vucevic is really, really interesting to me. Like I think there's going to be a feeling out process there that's going to hurt their ability to really rise in the standings. And if you're playing Milwaukee, Brooklyn, uh, in, in the first round, you have got a hell of a path to to make it to our conference finals.
0: They almost seem like a funhouse version of the Nuggets, where Levine is your Jamal Murray, Nikola Vucevic is your Nikola Jokic, but there's kind of a a, a big problem there that that Vucevic just isn't Jokic. <laughs> there's yeah. there's and, still- and I don't know
1: if they're going to use him that way or if it's going to become like a Kevin Love situation where hey space mm. in the corner like. Is that going to be what the dynamic is? Because let's be honest, Vucevic is probably their second best player. Like, a, he, he's a really, really good player and a floor raiser if you're using him properly, which still remains to be seen.
0: They have a bunch of floor raisers on their team. Like, I do think that Lonzo is a floor raiser. I think that DeMar DeRozan is a floor raiser. I think that Vucevic is a floor raiser. Mm -hmm. Levine is their guy that you hope that once he gets to the dance, kind of like a Devin Booker, kind of like a Jamal Murray, that he goes off. He he levels up. He tries to find another gear. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately, I just don't know if they're going to be able to defend at that level. Uh, that that you're going to need when you're matching up with a lot of these teams. And like you said, point of attack defense is going to be a problem. They did add Alex Caruso. They Mm -hmm. do have Derek Jones Jr., but are those the two best players on their bench right now? I think that that's probably yes. And and once you start getting into the depth there, it's a little bit scary.
1: And DeMar DeRozan is probably the closest thing in the half court to a point guard that they have. Like yeah, Caruso's he's a nice combo guard. Uh, Lonzo Ball is a really gifted passer, but he's more of that off-ball, almost like a Drew Holiday type, uh, where he needs to play with a true point guard. So maybe that does work with Derozan, and you're able to get enough playmaking. But there, there's just so many questions with the roster. And it's not discounting the talent that they have. It's really just a, an appreciation for where the league is at, because I, I think the league is incredibly talented right now. And when you are going through those growing pains, it's going to impact your record. So the final version of Chicago, when, when we're at game 82 and they're going into the playoffs, I could see them being a, a real force. And one of those teams that uh, if they are in the play in tournament is a heavy favor to, to win their first game and, and to solidify their standing in the playoffs but I do think that there is going to be growing pains and and it's not going to mesh straight away. So how they respond to that adversity, that's almost undoubtedly going to come is really going to be the defining thing for their season.
0: It's funny that we talked about maybe high floor guys like, because I think that, like you said, their ceiling is, is I think you could see it coming together and I'd probably put them at about fifth. I could actually see them if you, you cross into one of those, Uh, upper team, like over one of those upper teams, they get hit by some injuries and Chicago Mm -hmm. just uh, really figures it out. Then you could really see it, but their floor because of all the uncertainty, because you you have no idea how those things are going to flow together. And if, if there's an Eastern conference group that sort of moves ahead of them, I could see them finishing as low as 12th. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's just yeah. a really wide range for them
1: specifically. It's very weird. I'm not sure how I feel about them, but. Especially with wow. Levine hitting free agency, like we have seen the effect yeah. that that can have on teams. Like, yeah, I, I mean, if you've followed the NBA for the last decade, you know, that can have an adverse effect on a team. So uh, when you go all in to build around Zach Levine and he just got his first taste of really playing with talented players at Team USA. This might have been an attractive offseason for him had he not had that Team USA experience. But now that his expectations of what teammates can bring to the table are elevated, it could be really, really interesting to see how that goes.
0: And he signed with a a small agency called Clutch uh, to see to see what he could really prompt there. So that's going to be that's going to be an interesting one. Okay, Chicago. Interesting. Another team that I find very interesting and that I would probably group in the same tier is the Washington Wizards. Mm. I think that given that Russell Westbrook, there's a lot to unpack there with that situation, but I really do think that they did a good job of replacing him while also adding to their depth in a way that is going to really elevate the majority of their group. Uh, They got Kyle Kuzma, Kentavious Caldwell Pope, Montrezl Harrell. They signed Spencer Dinwiddie to pair next to Bradley Beal. I think that there's a lot to like about some of those moves. What'd you think of their offseason?
1: It's really, really going to ride on how good Spencer Dinwiddie is, because Spencer Dinwiddie has best really does help address a lot of their needs. I like the depth that they have. I like the role players that they have. I just don't know if they have a straw that stirs the drink. Like, I, Mm -hmm. I feel like they are a roster of guys that other teams would covet to fill specific roles. But together, I feel like this is going to be a roster that's less than the sum of their parts because they don't have that guy that's going to bring it all together. Like Brad Beal is a fantastic player, but he's a play finisher. He's not a high assist guy. He'll need to adapt his style and be a little more similar to who he was two seasons ago when he was really kind of making more plays for uh, the rest of his teammates versus what we saw last year, which was a little more in that gunning mold. So I, I really don't have a lot of confidence in Washington. I don't think their defense is going to be good. Um, I, I actually have them lower. Like I, I, I think this is a team hmm. that it could go really, really poorly. Like when I, I was doing my rankings, I, I had them basically just below the calves even. And I don't even wow. have the Cavs. Like I, this is, I, I know the knee jerk reaction is going to be Homer take but no, like I, I, have the Cavs at 11th in the Eastern conference. I didn't have them making the play. In. I have Washington that low where I, I just don't believe that this team is going to be better than the sum of its parts or even the sum of its parts. And we'll probably see them offload some of these pieces throughout the year, whether it be Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell Pope will probably be desired. And then there's the looming factor of what's going to happen with Bradley Beal and until he, signs that extension I know he's signaled that he wants to be in Washington but until he signed that extension which he is extension eligible now uh, I'm just not going to have any confidence in, in that situation working out
0: it really does seem like they need a third guy to step up somebody who other than Spencer Dinwiddie can can really carry the load in, in a lot of different cases and they, they've got four forwards on their team Rui Hachimura Davis Bertons. Kyle Kuzma, Denny avdia, all four of those guys I I, I said that Chicago's kind of the funhouse version of the nuggets. These guys are funhouse versions of each other <laughs>
1: they're yeah, they all, really they're are
0: like six eight to six ten. they kind of do some things well. they kind of struggle with some others. Uh, I think that they need one of those guys to really step up and and solidify themselves as a guy who can be relied upon next to Dinwiddie and Beale. Do you have a favorite among that group?
1: Oh my goodness. Uh, I do like Denny. I, I I really liked him coming into the draft. Uh, obviously his uh, rookie season being cut short with an injury was unfortunate. Um, I, I think because he can be that kind of point forward type of guy, he would be the X factor someone that could bring it all together, but it'll be interesting to see how they manage the rotation. Like that's one of the big questions for me, especially with a rookie head coach. How are you going to manage that? Because uh, yeah, there's a lot of names and a lot of rotation players that I think teams would like, but is. Can Caldwell Pope going to be sitting because Corey Kispert needs to get his reps? Is Kyle mm-hmm. Kuzma going to play or is Montres Harrell or is Rui going to play or is Denny going to play there? Like having a lot of names and, and a lot of options is a nice thing to have, but this is a team that screams consolidate to me. Like you need to go out there and, and get an established playmaker and kind of consolidate some of this talent into that direction. So uh, to me, it's there's a lot of question marks and a lot of pressure for a guy coming off an injury uh, in spencer dinwiddie that is basically being counted on to bring this all together
0: it's going to be interesting i have a lot of faith in dinwiddie to come back and be very good uh that sentiment might not be shared by everybody because he he just seems like a player hey you're coming off of an acl tear or even though it was a partial one, and there's a, there's a lot of reasons to think that hey, this might not work. But mm-hmm. if it did work, if if there was a way for him to be that kind of twenty five and five guy next to a Beal who's putting up basically thirty five and five, yeah, uh, there's 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 something to be to be said there for those two guys kind of captaining the ship and directing everybody. And you may not need a a true third player if you get good minutes from Rui or good minutes from Davis or whoever of those guys that really stands out. So they're an interesting team to me, like you said, ripe for a trade, whether it's trading Beal or trading to add to Beal should be interesting. Mm -hmm. Totally agree. All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to, I want to jump around and we're going to go to the teams that are worst in this conference. (laughs) We'll be right back. We're back, pickaxe and roll, Ryan Blackburn. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. I am joined today, of course, by Justin Rowan. Make sure to go follow his work with the Chase Down Pod, doing some great stuff. All right, let's hop around. And I, 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 pre, I premise this at the end of the last segment, the worst teams in the Eastern Conference. I think this is a smaller group than it usually is uh, year in, year out, because there's, there's, I think there's just been a level of competency, a level of, young talent that has been added to this group over the course of a few years here. Uh, but there are still teams that are going to finish at the bottom. And I think that there is a clear winner in terms of who is probably going to be 15th in the conference. Can you guess who I'm talking about?
1: You're talking about the Orlando magic.
0: I am talking about the Orlando magic. That is correct. Uh, they are, they are going to be a lot of fun from a, just from a fun upcoming, easy, very exciting perspective but they are also (laughs) going to be an absolute mess uh this is going to be a really really interesting roster what stands out to you about them so far
1: man they're a team with quite a bit invested in point guards and guards like uh, i'm going to be interested to see what cole anthony markel fultz rj hampton and jalen suggs do together like that, yeah, that's, and, and then you're adding someone like Gary Harris, who you're probably trying to get some value out of him and, and showcase him to some extent. Uh, I, I, I'm i not 100% sure. Is Michael Carter Williams back? I, I should know. But to be honest, I haven't spent a lot of my off season thinking about the Orlando Magic because to me, this screams worst team maybe in the NBA. Uh, This this is a really, really young team with not a lot of veterans to elevate the floor. Who knows if they're going to hang on to Terrence Ross. We don't know uh, what Jonathan Isaacs going to look like when he gets back. There's just not a lot of paths to this team being competent in my eyes.
0: You know this perhaps better than anybody. Young guards and just being led by young guards is just not a recipe for winning totals at the outset. Yeah. while they're young, while they're trying to figure things out, you're going to go through some growing pains and Jalen Suggs, Cole, Anthony, Mark L. Fultz, RJ Hampton. They've even got their veterans are Gary Harris, Terrence Ross, Michael Carter Williams in the backcourt alone. That is just a lot of names and a lot of, a lot of players that probably should be playing a lot outside of Michael Carter Williams. But yeah. uh, I, I don't know who I have confidence in, in that group. I, I will say, given that we did trade both of them for Aaron Gordon, I, I, it was hard to give up Gary Harris and RJ Hampton because I think that they, Gary Harris is the, the standard pro that you'd want on every team, but yeah. RJ Hampton, I think he's very talented and extremely athletic and has really showed a lot defensively. Um, do any of those guys really stand out as the high ceiling player, the one that you want to consider part of your core, a true piece to build around?
1: Yeah, it's Jalen Suggs. Like, mm, J- okay. I, and the nice thing is, I do think Jalen Suggs will need to play off of a point guard. Like, I, I think you play him as a two. Um, So, I, I think it'll work out. So it's just going to be a matter of does he develop better chemistry with RJ Hampton, Markell, or Cole Anthony? Like, that, that's really going to be the f- feeling out process. And I think there's. In the modern NBA, there's room for you to have three guards kind of working that rotation, because uh, especially ones that can guard multiple positions, which I, I believe Jalen Suggs, as well as Fultz, are capable of doing. You got 96 minutes between the, the point guard and shooting guard position, and with the, the pace and space NBA, there's more than enough possessions to go around, so I think there's a long-term path to this working out. It's just going to be a feeling out process. But uh, Jalen Suggs is a guy that I'm really, really confident in moving forward. Uh, I think he has a really, really high floor as a player. Um, It's going to be like the, the different, differentiating factor for him is, is he going to be able to develop a consistent pull-up jumper? Because if he has that consistent pull-up jumper from three which was a weak spot for him in college, that is really, really going to elevate his offensive game and complement everything else that he brings to the table with his defense, uh, with his savvy passing, and just the intangibles that he brings to the table.
0: He reminds me a lot of Jamal Murray and what he brought to the table as a rookie, just somebody who you, you could see he was a gamer. You could see he really rose to the occasion in a lot of ways. And there was just certain parts of his game that he needed to develop in order to become that star. And now that you see them, you can see everything sort of falls into place with him and everything between the ears seems really good. Uh, I'm curious to see how somebody like that handles the situation and whether Mm -hmm. he's going to need some uh, prompting in the form of trades with some other guys and making sure that, Hey, you you have a good structure. That's really set up. It's going to be fascinating to see how they handle it. Uh, Moving to their front court. Chumo Kiki, uh, Franz Wagner, Jonathan Isaac, Wendell, Wendell Carter, Carter
1: Jr. Yeah, like <laughs> Wendell's probably the <laughs> only one that I have. Like Jonathan Isaac, if he's healthy, is a really good player. He He's a big time difference maker. Health is the big concern. Wendell Carter Jr. is kind of the, the question mark because I, I think I, I was a believer in him coming in, but he just hasn't shown a lot to this point. If he is good and he has a breakout season, that's that's your path to maybe not being the worst team, but it's not your path to a plan. I, I don't think there's any 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 possibility that this team makes a plan. Uh if I'm wrong, drag me. I would love to be wrong here. Uh just because you know, surprises are great for basketball. But uh given how competitive the Eastern Conference projects to be next season, I just don't see a path here.
0: Yeah, I mean they they are a team that's ripe for another high lotto pick that if you can get another player who projects to be a star, uh, preferably somebody who can play small forward or something like it, uh, then maybe there's a connecting piece that you can add and start to make sense of the rest of the pieces. But it's, it's hard to see it right now, and it's, it's going to take a little bit, I think. But mm-hmm. moving on, the Detroit Pistons. This is another team that I think, hey, you're going to suck, and that's okay because you got Cade Cunningham. That's awesome, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And if Cade is like Luca Light, Maybe they can be a little more competitive than we anticipate. I like uh, Jeremy Grant, at least there compared to Orlando. You got a veteran option. Sadiq Bey, really good player. Really like how that fits long term. Uh, Diallo, I think, was a, a nice pickup for them as well. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, it, it's again, this is going to be a team that's really, really relying on young and inexperienced guys. And for that reason, like it's, it, I think they have a much, much, much more rosy outlook long term. Uh, Killian Hayes hasn't shown tons yet, but he was someone that was high on coming into the draft. So maybe that works out. Uh, But overall, I I think they have a pretty promising core. It's just going to take some time and eventually veterans. So uh, this is going to be a team that's going to get another high pick. And after that point, I I think they're going to be a team to keep an eye on uh, to see if they do some maneuvering to help get the veterans in that supplemental talent that'll bring them to the playoffs. Cause I think Kate's going to have a pretty short learning curve when it comes to the NBA, but still one that's going to be present in his rookie season.
0: I hope so too. He he seems like the, the right mix between a Luca and a Tatum that you can definitely anchor your team around on both ends of the floor. Like he he's mm-hmm. not going to be somebody who's a liability on either end and he could potentially dictate some things, uh, at, at his ceiling, hopefully sooner than that. Uh, but like you said, hey, Killian Hayes, they really don't have any other alternatives as ball handlers that are veteran options other than Corey Joseph, and that's not really like a that's that's not really a an establishment of success in terms of ball handling perspective. No, uh, I would be worried about that. But they hey, they do have a Canadian power trio in Kelly Olinick Corey Joseph
1: and Trey Lyles, so that's true. is this gonna be your league pass darling team next year? <laughs> they will not be uh, <laughs> they they're not even uh, at the top of my Canadian watch list. I think uh Memphis has more that I'm interested with uh brandon car Brandon Clark and uh Dylan Brooks.
0: <laughs> I love them uh Brandon Clark especially he needs uh, Ooh, yeah that's that's gonna be a very like we we aren't we aren't on the Memphis we aren't on the west, but like he feels like he's been pigeonholed into a backup situation where I'm not really sure where he goes from here. I want to see. I want to see if the Nuggets can get him. That I, be, I think. I
1: think yeah. a lot of their offseason moves were to clear up space for mm. Brandon Clark. I, I think they were limiting the number of options that they can go with, just so that he's going to get a more consistent role. But I, I want you to guess who do you think I have as my third worst team in the Eastern Conference? Because I, I think it is going to be a bit of a surprise.
0: Your third worst team. Um, it's Toronto
1: it is Toronto mm. so I've got reasons for this Toronto has a really good roster if Pascal Siakam wasn't missing at least like the first month of the season with his shoulder surgery I might have had yeah. more confidence in them but this is a team that yeah they were picking fourth overall last year they lost their best player and in, in locker room presence in Kyle Lowry Fred Van Vliet sneaky inconsistent as an offensive player he's never been efficient in his entire career and that's with a point guard setting things up for him and they have uh, Malachi Flynn who I I like but you know what I I, they're still unproven a couple other second round picks that they have as backup point guards Scotty Barnes is going to be playing a, a big role early on especially with Pascal Siakam out we don't know if Dragic is even going to be on the opening night roster. If he is, I'd have a little more confidence in them. But the biggest factor in this, and we saw this last season, was that when Toronto was close to the plan late in the season, they had zero interest in actually going for the plan. They tanked. And mm-hmm. for that reason, I think that they'll go the same direction this year, where I think Masai has a long-term vision for this team. Yes, Pascal Siakam, if he was healthy and if he's playing great all year, he's a four raiser for them. Uh, he's a big time difference maker and an all-star. But they just drafted, let's be honest, his replacement in Scotty Barnes. Right. In all likelihood, right? They they are they have some shooters. They don't have real consistent shooters. Fred VanVleet and Gary Trent Jr. can get hot. I just really don't trust this team in the half court. They might be able to score enough transition points to be effective most nights and their defense is going to be good. So maybe that makes them a little better than I'm expecting. But at the end of the day, like I I just feel like this is a team that is primed to blow it up. Uh, that this is a a team that is going to go through a transitional stage because they have really, really good young players like Scotty Barnes. I I think he's going to work out great for them. OG Ananobi is terrific. Um, Gary Trent, I think long-term really works for them. And because they already have that good core of young players in place, I wouldn't be surprised if Masai took a long-term view with this team, maybe moved on from a couple of their favorites there. uh, And get one more high pick and then start going in with some cap space. It really wouldn't surprise me to see them tear it down.
0: Who's going to start at center for them. Do you think, because it, they, they don't have a guy who's taller than six, nine no. uh, precious, precious Achua, Chris Boucher. Kim I think it's Birch. going to be Kim Birch.
1: Yeah. Be Kim Birch. Uh, like, they, they really like Boucher right. in that. They like Boucher coming off the bench last year. And, and I think mm-hmm. the, uh, Nick nurse is going to want to keep him in that role. Um, yeah, it, it'll it be between Ken Birch and Precious. I wouldn't be surprised if Precious, like, took that spot eventually. But, again, like, this is a team that's really relying on a lot of young guys. Like, if Precious, Scotty are, are playing heavy, heavy minutes for you, we, there's just going to be a lot of growing pains there, man. Like, I, I just, I don't have a lot of confidence in this roster. I know, like, if you look at their uh, over-under line, it's really high. I'd be pounding that under. Uh, and mm. like, Don't yell at me if I cost you money there. But at the end of the day, like, I think this is going to be a team that finishes comfortably under as they go through another rebuilding season.
0: Yeah, and I I actually, because Basketball Reference doesn't have Gary Trent on their updated roster for this next season, so I actually forgot that he was even there. Mm -hmm. Um, But, like, they could be moving Goran Dragic to Dallas. That seems like something that still could happen, like, start of October. Like, that seems like that's the thing. Uh, so if if that's the case, then they're not going to get back anybody special from that. Deal. You're getting
1: like Dwight Powell, which again, yeah, like, is I he mean, going to play over Prech, Precious even or Chris Boucher? Like how much that's is That actually going to help you? No.
0: And then if that's the case, then your your backcourt is now Fred Van Vliet, Malachi Flynn and Gary Trent, which, okay. Like, I mean, that's that's fine, but it's just it's special. I don't know how going
1: to do running an offense. I don't know how he's going to do as the number one guy. Like. I, I really have a lot of questions there. Like if Goron's there, I think that actually helps a lot, but I mean, he's made it pretty clear. He doesn't want to be there. Uh, and it wouldn't surprise me just the way that Toronto values that lo- locker room culture. If they move on from him once they're basically able to at the start of October, because I, I think everyone knows he's probably going to Dallas at some point, uh, which they can't really trade for him until the start of October. So once that happens, we'll probably have a better idea what, toronto's start of the season is going to look like
0: i i do think that their foundation is better than what you're giving it credit for og mm-hmm. Ananobi is i think his ideal role is as the third best player on a championship team or maybe even fourth best player but for a team that is still just trying to raise their ceiling if you've got fred van vliet if you have got pascal siakam he's a capable third option there and should be fine uh but but i think there is something to be said for this is this is a team that has some bottom up potential, and mm-hmm. they're going to want to play Scotty Barnes. And if you're if you're shifting those things around, then it's it's it could get weird.
1: So yeah, uh, a ball handling big that's really raw offensively is going to initiate a bunch of your offense. That's like it's probably going to be great for the long term. And again, I'm really high on the long term of this team. I think they're a really really well run franchise. I think they have a great young core in place. It, I just think like the, the smartest decision seems to be to do a little bit of a tear down here. And they're a team that I, I feel like is going to make the smartest decision. But at the same time, I'm looking at this from the perspective of a cas fan that wants some teams to be below them. So I need to look at these <laughs> likely avenues for someone to go but below them. So uh, by all means, Masai, blow this thing up. Absolutely. Please suck. Please suck.
0: Please, fine, suck. Please suck. It's fine. It's fine. Please suck. I have too
1: many Raptors fans <laughs> in my family. I don't need them being cocky like ugh, come on we we just don't need this
0: uh that's great uh tell you what let's take another break when we come back we're going to wrap up with these last three teams the indiana pacers the charlotte hornets and your cleveland cavaliers we will be right back here on Pickaxe and roll we're back pickaxe and roll thank you so much for tuning in make sure to rate review and subscribe Uh, make sure to go check out justin's podcast the chase down over on uh, calves.com which is pretty super cool uh that is a is a great partnership there uh let's wrap up this thing by going quickly on indiana charlotte and then spending some more time on cleveland uh indiana i actually think i feel about them the way that you feel about toronto uh, because mm-hmm. they have a lot of solid players, a lot of players that are not superstars, not really even all-stars, despite DeMontis Sabonis getting at these last two. I think that you can make an argument that if he's in the West, probably not. Mm-hmm. If he's in a different situation, probably not. But they needed somebody to step up, and he stepped up, and they've been fine. Uh, but Malcolm Brogdon, Karis LeVert, a healthy TJ Warren maybe. Yeah. Uh, Demonte Sabonis, Miles Turner, they're all good. Yeah. I just don't really trust any of them, and I think that this is this is going to come to a head pretty quickly. That with a new coach, with uh, in Rick Carlisle, he is mm-hmm. a a very good coach. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know how this is going to go. Like he seems like a guy who could lift the profile or it could bottom out really quickly. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think he's going to have them playing pretty consistent basketball because you list those little six guys with TJ being the main one off the bench. And then you add someone like Torrey Craig, you have Jeremy Lamb, you have like so many solid players that I, I think they can do some interesting things. Even O'Shea Brissett, he, he really showed quite a bit uh, at the end of last season. Don't uh, forget so-
0: NBA veteran Chris Duarte.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Chris Duarte. (laughs) Absolutely. Like, there's just so many good players there. And I think Indiana was a team that, like, last season, they still made the plan, even though they clearly clearly hated their coach. Like there was so many internal issues. Now, if they decide to sell off parts, yes, I can see the bottom falling out. But at the end of the day, like there's just so much talent there when you're talking about like that starting group of Brogdon, Lavert, Warren, Turner, Sabonis, that I like, I just have so much confidence in them out of the 16, like outside of the top six that I I feel really confident in. I have Indiana as the next team. I have them seventh in kind of my confidence rankings for the Eastern conference, because there's just so much talent there. And I think Rick Carlisle gets such a high baseline out of his teams uh, that I I think they're going to be a really, really steady presence. And again, like listeners of this podcast can probably figure out my biases and usually it, it leans towards continuity. And the, the Pacers have so much continuity. They're bringing a really good head coach. Uh, if they get out to a strong start, I think they're going to be able to maintain that.
0: I really want to see Karis LeVert do well just after last season, just really yeah. falling apart for him the way that it did. Like, uh, It's a really scary situation. And so if he could come back and, and really be a great 2-3 option for them, uh, TJ Warren, same thing. Like, they, They've had a lot of bad luck. And, and you could see Brogdon, Sabonis, Turner, uh, there, there's a little bit of shaky talent around them uh, when those guys aren't there. So maybe, maybe the overall, some of the parts, uh, can can be better with a yeah. guy like Rick Carlisle leading the fold.
1: Last just... year was worst case scenario, basically, from a continuity, from a chemistry, from an injury <laughs> standpoint. And it still got them into the play-in. And I understand that the Eastern Conference is better, but really, like, the teams that got better were those that weren't in the play-in last year, that that completely hmm. missed the playoffs, that, like... We don't have tons of confidence in Chicago. I, I don't have a ton of confidence in Washington. I don't think Toronto's going to be in that mix. So for those reasons, Indy seems like the real clear choice to kind of elevate themselves and maybe be in that 7-8 matchup for the, the play rather than the
0: 9-10. They are one team that I think could definitely do that. But for me, I, I would prefer for them to pick a direction because if, if it's 7-8 and that's where you're really going towards I prefer for them to target a guy like Ben Simmons, somebody who could really elevate the overall profile. I'm not sure what kind of a deal makes sense. It probably but even is. Even then, the start it doesn't of- make
1: them bad. Like, I, I yeah. think Ben Simmons makes probably makes them a better team. Like, I, I just so. don't see them bottoming out. Like, I, they don't blow it up in Indy. Like, they never blow it up in Indy. So, for mm. that reason, that's why I have them so high because they've established a historical baseline. Like, yeah, it, Kind of sucks when you're just competing for seven and eight, but they're a franchise that has shown a willingness to compete for seven and eight.
0: Okay, you've swayed me. I, I, I will move them out of that previous. There that you I go. Have. Okay. There you I'm go. I'm
1: going to take that win.
0: <laughs> uh, but another team that I think deserves some some credit here is the Charlotte Hornets, who mm-hmm. did also get better during this offseason, I think.
1: Where Ooh, okay I, I, I don't think that they got worse, do you? I do. I, I think I think they made a smart long-term pivot Um, moving on from Graham is going to hurt them. You're now replacing him with book Knight, who uh, I like long-term as a prospect, but again, this is a rookie versus someone that's 25, 26 years old that uh, really kind of helped them out Uh, at the center position. Now you have Mason Plumley, which I I think is a downgrade from Zeller and Kai Jones, who's a rookie. Um, I just don't think I really don't like their center position at all. Uh, I'm really, really high on them long term, but if Hayward misses any time at all, this is a lot of young players, not a lot of veterans in the front court. Uh, really, the the floor raising type guys. I think they're going to take a small step back. Uh, honestly, I, I should I compare it a little bit to Memphis. I think Memphis is taking a little bit of a step back this year. I think Charlotte's taking a step back, but after this upcoming season, I think that Charlotte is going to be one of those up and coming teams on the rise. I just don't know if LaMelo is going to be good enough to really, really elevate them. I see a scenario where things work out, but looking up and down this roster, I just don't love the front court. I don't think Kelly Oubre is going to help them a lot. I mean, if Steph Curry couldn't get the most out of Oubre, I don't think (laughs) LaMelo is going to. Um, So there's, there's just a lot of question marks there. And and I, I, I think playing Kai Jones and book Knight in really prominent roles is going to lead to them losing quite a few games in the Eastern conference.
0: Yeah, I, I will say this might be just be having a blind spot for Kelly Oubre uh, just because I think that he, despite the fact that he was with Steph Curry, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he was with Draymond Green, I actually don't think he was in a great situation there because Andrew Wiggins is sort of the role that you would want him to fill And he was playing a lot of minutes with James Wiseman, just like all the Warriors fans were bitching about with with Steph and Dre and and those guys. And I I do think that there are ways that this Charlotte team can really maximize the wing talent that they have, which Mm -hmm. suddenly includes Miles Bridges, Kelly Oubre, and Gordon Hayward kind of bookending a lot of that. And I think you can go up and down the the lineups that they have. Maybe you play Mm -hmm. Oubre at the two at times when, when Rozier is sitting. Maybe you play Gordon Hayward at the four when PJ Washington is sitting. I think there's a lot of different ways that you can get through a regular season. There are. Uh, yeah. And, and Mason Plumlee, he is, I mean I think if you've got a Plumlee or a Zeller like that if you're just you're just subbing one for the other really there's mm-hmm. there is some data and and friend of the program Matt Moore would absolutely relay this to me uh that Cody Zeller is actually just an excellent defender and actually somebody who who would really elevate them and really helped out Charlotte but they also are subtracting Bismack biombo I believe mm-hmm. and Bismack biombo was really really bad so yeah. there, there is some addition by subtraction there that maybe even a rookie might be actually better.
1: Yeah. Um, And and when I did my Eastern Conference rankings, like I had them 10th. So I think mm -hmm. they were better than their record last year, uh, obviously with Lamella missing time and some of the injury issues that they had. I think they were better than their record. So taking a step back means I think they're probably my favorite to make that 10th seed in in the plan. I have them just above Cleveland. Uh, But the other thing that kind of stands out to me, in addition to Hayward missing time throughout his career, LaMelo has missed a a fair bit of time. I I know he's only played one season in the NBA, but he missed time in Lithuania with injuries. He's missed time in Australia with injuries. He's now missed time in the NBA with injuries and this is probably unfair to do but like lonzo misses time too like i almost like i i know i'm not a scientist I don't take medical advice from me but like i there's just a bit of a trend there so if lamelo misses any time i just have no real confidence in this roster and the lack of a real kind of solidifying presence at the center position is uh, kind of a glaring hole for me. So maybe, maybe they hit the trade deadline. They're in the nine seed and they trade for a center, or or they address those needs, which is always one of the the, the 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 blind spot when we have these preseason discussions. That that would really make a big big difference if they can get a difference maker at that position. But right now, they're the team that I probably have the least amount of confidence in, but would pencil them in to that last playing spot
0: a lot of that just really changes based off of what LaMelo's trajectory looks like, because he just, he does seem to me like a prospect that could really just blow a lot of these projections out of the water. If he, if he sort of clicks, if things sort of figure out uh, he'll still be in his age 20 season. There's mm-hmm. definitely not a lot of reason to believe that he's going to just suddenly be a twenty ten and nine guy or something like that. But yeah. uh, the fact that it could happen makes me pause. I I definitely think that there's, there's some higher ceiling potential for them if that definitely clicks because they're a guy they're a team that needs a star and and if he just immediately fills that void it certainly changes things so okay we've spent a lot of time on these other eastern conference teams without talking about the crown jewel itself Mm -hmm. uh the cleveland Cavaliers. so justin take the floor what was the best move that the Cavs made this offseason in your mind probably
1: the best biggest difference maker because this is a team that's really really relying on a lot of internal growth um the, you're hoping that darius garland makes a leap i think you saw a little bit of that in april uh in the 15 games in april uh 21 points seven assists real high efficiency really kind of asserting himself in ways that we're kind of hoping to see right and, sure. and garland making the leap is probably the biggest thing like you you talk about what lamella could do if Darius Garland parlays that Team USA experience and finally being healthy for a full offseason and comes out there and is a 23 and 8 guy, that's really going to make a difference because you have Colin Sexton, who 24 and a half, four and a half assists, good efficiency, above league average efficiency. Like if you're getting that kind of production from both guard positions, you're in a pretty good position if they're giving you an efficient 50 a night. Um, but the biggest addition is adding Ricky Rubio. Because you look at the Cavs last season and they had, well, they had stretches where they didn't have a guard playing. Like the only active guard on the roster was Damian Dotson. But outside of that, like the backup point guard minutes were Dotson, Broderick Thomas, just like a lot of really unproven players. And now you had Ricky Rubio, who despite injuries early in his career, last seven years, hasn't missed much time at all. Uh, One of the better backup point guards in the league and someone that can play with Garland, with Saxon, kind of really solidify the, that second unit. Um, And then the big difference maker or the big question mark to me on whether or not this is going to be a successful season is not if Laurie Markkinen is going to replace Larry Nance Jr. He's Laurie Markkinen in my eyes. And this is starting to come out in some of the messaging from the reporting around the team. He's replacing Kevin Love yeah. because they saw They were one of the worst offenses in the league, but when Kevin Love played in April and he wasn't even playing well, all of a sudden they were up to 13th in three-point attempts. Their offensive rating went way up. They really need what Kevin Love brought to the table, and Laurie Markkinen is going to bring that as the sixth man for this team uh, behind Evan Mobley. Evan Mobley is going to be the one that's tasked with replacing Larry Nance Jr., I think you're going to see a situation where Mobley subs out first for Laurie, probably along with Sexton. And then you have kind of Sexton working alongside Ricky Rubio, Laurie Markkinen, um, and Evan Mobley uh, with that second unit. So that's going to be the real, real difference maker because they're banking that Laurie's going to be able to help unlock some of their offense and make things easier for their two investments in Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. Because Laurie can play with either of them. He's probably going to split his minutes between those two. And that is an awkward situation for Kevin Love, who is now the fourth big in the rotation. And I, unless he comes to the team and he's willing to give up money in a buyout, he's probably capped up at 12 to 16 minutes a night. Like they're going to prioritize the young guys, which at this point they should.
0: Yeah, I was let's let's just move on to that one here, real quick. Uh it's it's just fascinating how this has really devolved into such an kind of an ugly situation uh with Mm -hmm. with love now uh there just hasn't been a move that's been out there the the contract has really prevented a lot of teams from being interested and and the health has been been a very preventive factor from teams wanting to make that long-term commitment as well uh how long do you think he has for Cleveland? And like uh, because it just seems like he's not willing to give up money. That's the report that's been coming out. Uh, do you think that he's a guy that's going to be there for a month, zero months,
1: three months, six months, two years? I have no real read on the situation, man. Like honestly, like I think it ends in a bio but I think there's an assumption that this is similar to what happened with Blake Griffin, where if he gets bought out, he's gonna look great and whatnot. Kevin loves legitimately not healthy. Like, yeah, if if he was healthy and just kind of dogging it, the team USA situation would have gone a lot differently. Like that was a perfect opportunity for him to show that he was healthy. And the sad thing is 1920, he was really healthy and productive for the Cavs. He made a real big difference that season. He played well for them, uh, was a good leader off the floor, had a couple uh, kind of blow ups. Then last season, when they were actually competitive and like through a month, they were basically in a playoff seating. He wasn't healthy for any of that. He wasn't able to get on the floor in his first real opportunity to be competitive on a cast team without LeBron James. So it it had to have been killing him. And and I I really feel for him because that was a great, great opportunity for him to maybe rehab his value, uh, get the team a few more wins and maybe facilitate a trade. So it's really going to be, a a tough situation for him, maybe with him trying to get healthy and and to kind of build up some stamina that 12, 16 minutes a night off the bench, uh, never playing with Laurie. Let's be clear. He should never, ever play with Laurie (laughs) Mark. Yeah, (laughs) but playing those 12, 16 minutes, you can work your way up to health to maybe a point where you can have some confidence that you are going to recoup some of that money on the buyout market. Maybe that's how this unravels, or maybe Presented with the reality that, hey, there's 96 minutes between the four and five. Uh, Alan and Mobley are probably going to eat up those minutes at the five. And Laurie and you are going to, like, I, I think Mobley is going to start at the four, but he's going to play all 16 backup five minutes, right? Laurie's going right. to play his 28 minutes a night at the four. And that's going to leave Kevin Love with 16, right? Like, Faced with that reality, that might incentivize a buyout. I, I don't know how this is going to unravel. Um, it's really unfortunate that it's gone this way. Um, to his credit, um, like there was tension with Sexton early when he was first drafted, but he gets talked about a lot by by Sexton as someone that he reaches out to after games or in the offseason to go over film that that's really been a good vet for him. Uh Darius Garland has said the same thing. So he's tried to do the right things, and I, I think leadership came with more of a learning curve than he anticipated uh with this young team uh but it's just really unfortunate that this is the way that everything is kind of unraveled in cleveland
0: well i hope that he can find a good spot uh he i mean he seems like a great candidate if if deandre jordan hadn't already done this it it, he seemed like a great candidate to find a buyout and then go play with lebron again just as a floor (laughs) spacing five for anthony davis at the four yeah uh maybe that happens maybe it doesn't uh, what, whatever the case may be, With this current Cavs iteration, I do love the uh, the addition of Ricky Rubio. Just looking back at last year's roster was kind of a journey. Uh, trying to figure out who's playing backup point guard at any particular time. Yeah. Uh, it really was just uh, Sexton and Garland splitting time, and yeah. that's that's a pretty bad situation to be in, uh, just from a competitive standpoint. You add Ricky Rubio to really sort of anchor that position. And then even if he's only playing 15 to 20 minutes, at least you can free up some time for Sexton to play the two, which is clearly his better position.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: So there's, there's a lot to like about that. And also with Lowry, it is a big swing. Uh, The contract was something that a lot of people have brought up. The contract with Jared Allen is something a lot of people have brought up. Uh, I think that just getting better and just being in a position where, I think those additions have really helped the floor rise for the Cavs to the point where, hey, you can now see this team competing for a play-in spot. Whether they get it or not remains to be seen, but it's going to be more fun and more enjoyable and a lot more interesting to watch. Uh, For the long-term health of this group and just the long-term potential, I think you've probably got to find a better small forward, power forward kind of mix than Isaac Okoro is right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chetty Osman probably isn't that guy in
1: the long term, but Dylan Windler hasn't been that. He hasn't been able to stay healthy like that. That's that's the big question. Like they're making a gamble counting on the young players because you look at the starting lineup: Garland, 21, Sexton, 22, Okoro, 20, Mobley, 20, Jared Allen, 23, just turned 23 years old. Like that is a crazy, crazy young starting unit. And then Laurie Markkinen and Ricky Rubio off the bench. You feel pretty okay about that seven. If you're high on those young players, I understand some people might not be, but that that would be the pitch getting that wing, which apparently they are still active on the trade market. Uh, Chris Fedor had mentioned that um, that they are looking to add a wing. If you can add someone like a Terrence Ross or or Jeremy Lamb from one of these teams that has a lot of options, you're going to feel a little bit better about that because Isaac Okoro, as much as he's capable of defending threes. Doesn't really fit a, a, as a small forward, and his skill set seems to be better suited to play at the two. So it, it's a tricky situation. I like the young pieces. I think they fit well together. Uh, I'm particularly high on the fit of Garland and Mobley together long term. Like I, I think those two, as kind of your your franchise pillars, you're going to be in a pretty good position. But how well this young team is going to click together is the the biggest, biggest difference maker, which I mean, the, the exciting thing for me, at least from a fan perspective, and when I'm putting on my wine and gold colored glasses is these guys have been in market all off season, basically treating it like an extended training camp. Uh, Isaac Okorl has barely left Cleveland. Like he's always working on his jumper. He looked really improved in summer league uh, working on his handle as well. Darius Garland uh, is looking prime to make a leap. I think last year wasn't a leap. I think last year was just him getting healthy. So if that's the case and he is making a leap next season, we know what a great point guard can do to to raise your floor and get a lot of wins. Um, So that's probably the path to competence, but at the same time, they really, really need to address that small forward position, whether it's someone like Dylan Windler getting healthy or finding somebody on the trade market, that's going to at least provide a, a better option because If injuries hit this team again, like they did last year, it it could fall like a house of cards pretty easily.
0: Are they going to be able to defend in the backcourt enough to make that leap?
1: That really depends on Sexton. I mean, Garland made quite the improvement defensively last season. He's someone that that's, plays good positional defense, but that falls apart when your partner is just not playing good defense. And, and Colin Sexton uh, is capable of playing very good on-ball defense at times. We, we've seen him play really well against someone like Bradley Beal and like almost shut him down for a game, but he completely falls asleep off ball. And uh, I, I mean, from a theoretical standpoint, Isaac Okoro was really, really impressive as a rookie defensively. Evan Mobley, we haven't seen him yet in the NBA, but he should be a good defensive player. Jared Allen should be a good defensive player. Like, If you're going to start two guards that small, starting two massive seven-footers that can switch onto almost any position helps a lot. So sure, whether or not they're able to muster a consistent defense next season, that, that remains to be seen. But I, I do think swapping out Larry for Larry is at least going to raise their floor offensively and when you have a team this young you're going to have defensive lapses you're going to have issues it's almost a a safer bet to bet on offense so that's probably their their path to mediocrity involves being mediocre on both ends which we need to see them do
0: (laughs) what's your what's your ideal lineup for them heading into the season what's the lineup that you
1: can't wait to see I, i can't wait to see that starting five and like it's last time LeBron left, it was Kyrie and Tristan were the only ones that I was really kind of emotionally invested. And I wasn't a Dion Waiters guy. I hated the Anthony Bennett pick. Even as a Canadian, uh, I almost got into a fight the night of the draft because I was just in (laughs) such a foul mood. Um, And obviously, Andrew Wiggins never really played for them, right? The fact that there is five young players that I'm really invested in, and even Laurie Markin. I mean, he just turned 24 years old. Like He's still young, and he's finally... He's finally playing with a point guard for the first time in his career. And you look at some of the tracking data, uh, B-Ball Index. I I love going to check them out. He was in like the 93rd percentile as a cutter, field goal percentage off of cuts, not playing with a point guard, Uh, really good active off-ball player. And that's probably the way that he can make a little bit of a leap because he is someone that has disappointed in a big way relative to his talent, right? Like he's a guy that's got the tools. If he starts clicking a little bit more with Garland and and Rubio and and these guys are gifted passers versus the situation he had in Chicago without a point guard with Boylan uh, two seasons ago, um, maybe maybe there's a path to him uh, being a more productive player. But even the player that he's been to this point in his career make a big difference. So seeing that starting five. Plus Laurie, uh, let's call them the core six, uh, for the purposes sure. of this podcast. Um, that that's what's really got me excited because I'm I'm already tinkering in 2K, uh playing around with it and, and having a lot of fun doing so. So I'm excited to see it in reality, especially with early games against Atlanta and Charlotte. Like uh, I'm I'm planning to go down to Cleveland for those. Uh so I, I'm I'm really excited to to see how they stack up early on.
0: Justin is glowing, everybody. I know you can't see his <laughs> face, but he's he is he is passionate. He is ready to go for for this Cleveland Cavalier season. and I'm looking forward to it too. I, I can't wait to reconnect on, on seeing whether this comes to fruition, seeing whether Garland can make that leap. That'll be really interesting to see because I'd, I'd love for Cleveland to bounce back after the LeBron era because it, it everything is just so tied into that all the time, yeah. uh, just from a national perspective that being able to kind of separate yourself, being able to establish, you don't want to forget, but like being able to establish your own identity would be really, really cool. So I, I could definitely yeah. see that. And it'll be, it'll be very fun to watch that work out and to see all these different pieces work out together. So Justin, you've been uh, fantastic, man. Thank you so much for, <laughs> for hopping on with me to break down the Eastern Conference. It's been a lot
1: of fun. No problem. Really appreciate you having me on. And hopefully the Cavs will be relevant enough for me to come back on the podcast at a later date. I'll keep my fingers crossed.
0: I love it. We'll, we'll meet you in the in the NBA Finals in a couple of years here.
1: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> That'll
0: do it for this episode of Pick, Axe, and Roll, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in.
1: I will be back
0: on Friday with another Eastern Conference guest to talk about the top. Should be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you guys very soon.